Welcome to the Quantum Growth Podcast, empowering financial advisors to build practices for the 21st century by providing insights and interviews on leadership, strategy, and practice management. Now here are your co-hosts, Shenandoah Connor and Barron's Hall of Fame top advisor, Jonathan Cutton. Welcome everyone to the Quantum Growth for Financial Advisors podcast. I am your host, Shenandoah Connor, and very excited today with uh, my co-host here, Jonathan Cutton, and we have a very special guest that John is going to introduce. Absolutely. Thanks, Shenandoah. So um, I am super happy and excited to have a a very good uh, friend and colleague of mine who uh, we go back, I'm going to say close to 20 years, I think, uh, together. Uh, I call him J.C. Chavez. Uh, He goes by Jared Cohen, uh, long inside joke. But Jared uh, was a colleague of mine for many years and someone that, you know, I'd say each of us kind of collaborated together to help each other uh, grow both of our organizations. And uh, we've both gone on separate paths and it's really good to kind of reacquaint with an old friend. So with that, I'd like to... uh, introduce my good friend, Jared Cohen. John, thanks for the introduction. Thanks for having me. Great. Well, now that you're here, let's uh, give everybody some context. Tell everybody a little bit about yourself, uh, about your organization, and uh, just kind of, you know, who you are. Well, thanks, Shenandoah. I've been in financial services for for nearly 20 years. Started my career with a a large uh, regional broker-dealer, uh, and spent uh, pretty much my entire career with them until uh, just recently we launched our own RIA in February of this year, right before the, uh, the pandemic hit. So wonderful timing. It's been an interesting whirlwind of a year, but uh, we're, we're doing well and learning day by day. Love it, Jared. Yeah. Could, maybe you can tell the, uh, the audience just a little bit about your business, um, you know, just some of the metrics, number of folks, advisors, uh, you know, that kind of thing. Sure. Well, we're, we're a team of nine. Uh, there's myself. We have four associate financial advisors and four full-time administrative assistants. Uh, we manage, uh, I would say, just shy of 300 million of total assets between fee-based and uh, broker-dealer business, whether it be annuities, 529s, brokerage, things of that nature. Um, majority of our business is fee-based and comprehensive financial planning, which is where we spend the majority of our time. But obviously, as comprehensive advisors, we do focus on other areas with insurance, estate planning, tax management strategies, things of that nature. Great. What made you decide to make this transition from the uh, your previous broker dealer and, and moving on to an independent route? Yeah, it's it's a great question, and I think it's something that I've always thought long and hard about. Um, as the industry is constantly changing, it's I always felt it was important for me to have an understanding of what else was out there. I, I'm always someone that wants to be able to feel confident that I'm offering my clients the absolute best of what is available to them. Um, And there was an aha moment that I had where I just felt that what we were doing was was great, certainly suitable, Um, but in my heart of hearts, I just felt that we could be offering and doing a little more. And the pivotal point that I had to make a decision on was I can either stay the course or, or path of least resistance um, not put myself, my team, and my clients through a very difficult change because no one likes change, uh, and simply be satisfied with the good enough, or to really look myself in the mirror and say, if I truly want to be a fiduciary, if I truly want to be the advocate for clients and do the absolute best of what I believe is out there, 
um, it's going to require a little bit of pain and discomfort. Um, and, and ultimately, that's the path that we chose. And, you know, looking back eight months later, we're very thankful we did. Yeah, well, well said, Jared. I didn't, I didn't realize how big your business got. Um, so that's uh, congrats and kudos to you and your team. You know, I'll hit you with two questions at once, like I like to. <laughs> so one, one would be, I know you made the move in February just before the pandemic, right? You know, maybe you could just share what, what that was like. I think it's hard enough for advisors to wrap their mind around a big transition. Um, but uh, what, what was that like? I'll, I'll hit you with the one question. I'll get you on another one in a minute. <laughs> uh, one of my favorite expressions is uh, the old philosopher Mike Tyson. And everyone has a plan until you're punched in the face. So uh, obviously planning a transition of this magnitude is a huge undertaking in and of itself, not only from the planning, but ultimately the execution. And uh, ultimately we had just completed all of our uh, client meetings and uh, transition signings and all of that. And then pretty much everything got shut down. So in terms of the actual transition itself, I think we were very fortunate that we had the opportunity to still sit with clients um, and not rely solely upon FedEx envelopes or uh, DocuSigns or things of that nature. But in terms of an office, it did create some difficulties in terms of learning how to operate outside of the office. We did shut down the office as many places have. Um, we relied on technology and uh, we got everyone's home offices equipped um, and we rolled with the punches and that's essentially what everyone has to do at this point. This, uh, this pandemic changed the lives of, of virtually everyone, um, you know, financial advisors in any institution or any, uh, organization out there. And, uh, you know, you just have to be able to adapt and roll with the punches and that's what we've done. So it was difficult and it made a, a difficult transition, even that much harder to do, but we feel we have a great story to tell when all is said and done. Yeah. It's having that adversity is always a good thing, uh, in terms of, uh, having that that comeback kid story or, or being able to go back to it. And I liked it. I, your Mike Tyson quote here, we're in military city, USA. I'm in San Antonio. So the, the military always says no plan survives first contact with the enemy. So like you said, all, all well laid plans um, are good, but you never know what's going to actually happen when you start putting things in place. So true. Yeah. So Jared, how, how did the transition go? I'm, I'm always intrigued because um so many advisors out there are always thinking about making a move and, you know, many of them just, as you said, due to being uncomfortable and just kind of good old fashioned inertia, um, choose to stay put. So did it, did it work out well? Can you give us some data? It worked out well. It worked out really well. Um, the, it was, and I'll be real. It's, 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 it's a battle. It's, it's a fight. Um, you are, working hard to explain to clients the reasons why you're making the change. Um, you're telling them your story. Clients for right, wrong, or indifferent are gonna have, or may have their own beliefs of, of why a change might be occurred. They might be told something by an advisor looking to maintain the relationship. Um, but at the end of the day, you have to be prepared for that, and we were. And Ultimately, as I said, if you make the change for the right reasons, as we did, we made the change because I truly believe it was the best interest for my clients and we were able to convey that messaging. Um, it wasn't about economics. It wasn't about, uh, I mean, all the different reasons that people can make a change. Uh, it's not a change that we were forced to make. You know, we weren't terminated or anything of that nature. So it, we chose this path. And uh, we chose this path because, again, we believe that it was the right thing for not only our practice, but the clients. And clients understood that no one likes change. 
Um, they have to get used to new paperwork and new account statements and new online presence. Um, but again, we have fantastic relations with our clients, as I'm sure many of your advisors that are listening do. And if you just believe that uh, you're making the changes for the right reasons, everything works out. So as I said, we probably have about 98% of our assets under management. There's definitely a few surprises. You know, there's going to be a, a number, a couple of clients that stay behind that surprise you. There's going to be a couple of clients that come with you that you might not have expected to. Um, but all in all, you have to be prepared for that. And as long as you go into it with a proper mindset, you're going to come out ahead. Yeah, no, make makes sense. And uh, that's great that it went so well. And we, we hear a lot of that. You know, we, we interview lots of advisors. And uh, I think if you have the right relationship, right, with your clients and uh, they know that you have their best interest in heart. They're, they're generally going to be loyal to you as the advisor, mm -hmm. uh, which I think is great. So when you think about the change and you think about, you know, how you've been able to grow the business over a 20-year career, um, love to pick your brain a little. Of course, I, I know some of the pieces, but not all of them. Maybe you can talk about some of the keys to, you know, to your practice's success uh, with the audience and maybe some of the ways that... Uh, that you've been really successful in, in growing and, and maybe yeah. some of the ways that you've struggled? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I think it's really important for an advisor to really think about what they ultimately want to be. Um, I know for myself, I think of myself as the, the business owner advisor and, and truthfully, I, I developed that mindset from, from you. Um, you know, I, John is, uh, as, as he mentioned, a great friend, but also a mentor of mine and someone that I respect in the industry for, for a long time. And one of the things that he told me early on is it's very, very difficult to wear all the different hats that you have to wear uh, to be a successful financial advisor uh, and run a successful practice. So you can be the analytical advisor, analyzing the securities and making the day-to-day -day decisions of a portfolio, or you can um, have a portfolio manager department or delegate that responsibility. You have to be good with the administration and, and, the, and the bookkeeping and the compliance and all of that aspects. So you have to be able to market, you have to be able to grow and understand the operations. So I think the first thing that you have to really think about is really what it is that you want to become and then focus on what makes or, 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 or your strengths and how you can build that and then align with and start to build a team that plugs in the other gaps. Um, so some of the things that I've done in the past is I, I've grown a lot through uh, inorganic um, acquisitions, some acquisitions, uh, smaller ones, larger ones, uh, recruits. So we built the team inorganically that way, which has helped um, add what I would call exponential or, or quantum growth, as opposed to just doing some of the organic stuff like seminars or alliances with CPAs or referrals or, or whatever it might be where you're going to generate new clients on an annual basis, but to be able to attract other advisors um, into your firm helps you go from 50 million to 100 million to 200 million to ultimately one day 500 million or a billion or 10 billion or whatever it is that you want to be. Yeah, love love that, and I, I think I heard a compliment in there, which is rare from you. So I'm glad we got that <laughs> one. <laughs> it's, it's on record. It's been recorded. Yes, for the, yeah, so immortalize it for you. <laughs> yep. Uh, JC Chavez, uh, formerly known as Jared Cohen, and I uh, have a have a fun relationship together. So uh, uh, you might have to explain this JC Chavez thing too, because now you've said it a couple of times. I'm I, I am forced to ask. <laughs> I, I wish there was more to it, but uh, JC Chavez, uh, you could tell me who JC Chavez is, Jared, but it's just from his initials, Jared Cohen. 
Well, it was the boxer, right? Julio Cesar Chavez, and you yep. told me Casey, and that's how it, yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Just, so just a dumb boxer nickname. references in, in one show, okay. Yeah, <laughs> just some funny, uh, you know, stuff that stuck for a long time. I, I don't know if I even remember why I called him J.C. Chavez. <laughs> you, you didn't, that's why you turned it over to me. <laughs> yes, yes, you're, you're quick. But that's, that's just what I call you for sure. Um, so, you know, I think what would be helpful, and I, 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 love, um, a couple, I love all the things that you said, but a couple of things that resonated uh, well were, you know, kind of that CEO mindset or that business owner mentality was one, right? And, you, you know, you talked about quantum growth, which, as you know, happens to be the title of our podcast, right? Quantum growth uh, for financial advisors. So you're, you're a quick study for sure. Tell us what you mean when you say the CEO of a business. And, and I just want to frame it out a little bit because I think, you know, I've, I've mentored a fair amount of advisors and I think uh, Jared is definitely one of those who was a quick study and was able to kind of get the concept and then execute. And I think so many advisors are stuck uh, where they are, you know, what I like to call their, their maitre d', right? That greets the patron at the restaurant. Uh, they're the busboy and the waitress and they're doing the dishes and they're also the chef, right? which becomes almost impossible to properly grow and scale a business if you're doing all those things. So, you know, Jared, maybe you could talk a little bit about how you did it, right? And kind of what the beginning steps were, if you can remember back then, and then ultimately, um, you know, kind of like what it is you do today as the CEO of your business, what's the day in the life of, of Jared Cohen? Yeah. Well, I guess just to comment on, on what it is that I did, Truthfully, the, the, the real answer is I just check my ego is uh, I think a lot of time advisors, especially being in the industry of 20 years, and I'm sure you've met them and some people just think they're experts at everything. And it, I think it's truthfully, I think it's impossible to be an expert in every aspect of what we do. I think that's unfair. I think it's a disservice and I think it's uh, a false level of expectation. Um, as advisors, you need to be dangerous and, and, and knowledgeable in a number of different areas. Um, and then align with true expert specialist or expert matter specialist in whatever topic comes up in a client meeting. So, for example, if we were doing a complex life insurance strategy, um, I know enough about it to position it to the client. I know when it's appropriate. I know more importantly when it might not be appropriate. But when it actually comes down to having a conversation, designing a case and presenting it, I would align myself with a, a true professional that only focuses on that, which not only is it better for the client, it's also better for me as the business owner because they're going to do a better job presenting it and most likely closing the business, which is the better for the, the practice as a whole. And I think that's the mindset you have to have when it comes to everything that we do. Um, there are plenty of advisors out there that are far more analytical and could tear apart a portfolio more efficiently than I can. I don't claim that that's my strength, nor frankly, nor do I want it to be. It's not what I enjoy doing each and every day. Is it a part of what we do? Of course. Do I need to be knowledgeable about, knowledgeable about it and be able to talk to a client about their portfolio and their allocation in different ways? Of course. That's not what I'm suggesting. But if I partner with a research team that can help supply me with the tools and the data and the rationale to be able to go in and arm myself with that client. It's just going to be a much better experience and it allows me more time to focus on what I enjoy doing, which is really growing the practice and thinking like a CEO. So that's kind of what I've done over the past really couple of years and 
figuring out exactly what it is that I want to be when I grow up. I and mean, that's kind of what I always talk about is, you know, what do I want to be, you know, five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, and what do I need to do today to allow myself in order to get there? And then more importantly, when I'm doing other things, what are the gaps and how do I plug those gaps with the right team members to make sure that all of our clients are getting exactly what they need? Super well said, Jared. Um, how about a um, couple of things you said there. So what, what does your day look like today, right? So kind of in the CEO seat, what percentage of your time would you say you spend, I kind of call it working in the business versus working on the business. So how much of it is client facing? How much of it is developing your team? How much of it is kind of, you know, running the organization or looking for other uh, inorganic growth uh, opportunities? Yeah, it, it's a great question and something that's been evolving over time. Obviously, as I started in my career, it was 100% focused on managing the client relationships. Um, I've made a conscious decision to start tapering certain client relationships to some of my team members. Um, that would be a benefit for them. So it frees up more of my day to focus on other initiatives. So I would say right now, about 60% of my time is focused on clients that I directly manage with 40% focused on other aspects, whether it be uh, upper, uh, inorganic growth, organic growth, putting out fires, dealing with compliance. I and mean, one of the things that I've learned uh, since I made the transition is there's, there's a lot that I don't know and I'm learning new things every single day. So um, a lot of my time is geared towards just running the RIA and finding strategic alliances and partnerships to make sure that I can do that as effectively as possible moving forward. But Ultimately, my plan is to have more of a shift towards the operational and CEO side with less time going towards working with new clients moving forward. As, as you think ahead, you had talked about kind of always having a five-year or 10-year plus time frame. Uh, as you look ahead in five years, let's say, do you think you'd still be 60, 40 clients to kind of other work or do you have a vision for that? I hope not because that would go against everything that I'm trying to create at this point. Um, I love my clients. I have fantastic relationships with, with all of them. Um, but I would say that I would probably suggest 25% of my time in client relationships would be ideal for me personally. And, and what I'm looking to do not only professionally, but also personally with 75% of my time focused on really growing the organization. Yeah. Love it. You know, I think most of the audience probably knows, I think at least that I personally don't work with clients at all anymore. I'm, you know, in my practice kind of officially in the, uh, in the quote unquote CEO seat. Um, and, you know, one of the things that I've learned as we've grown and scaled the business is when you, when you have a company um, that allows people to be in certain roles, right? I always look at business where there's finders, there's minders, and there's grinders, right? Some of you might've heard that uh, phase, right? So when you start to separate roles and you have folks, and a lot of times the CEO is part of that process that spend all their energy on finding business, right? Whether it be one client at a time, or as you said, Jared, acquisitions or inorganic growth strategies, um, they can get really good at that job, right? And then if you have folks that just focus unminding the client relationships and kind of running your service model, uh, they can get exceptionally good at giving that great client experience. And then the grinders are, you know, to your point earlier, kind of making sure the operation runs and uh, in some regard, um, you know, managing portfolios and things along those lines. 
Um, do you get involved in that in your organization, the managing of portfolios, or do you kind of outsource that, or is there someone on your team who deals with that? Well, again, as, as the chief compliance officer of our, of our fairly new firm, I have a, an active role in everything that we do, um, good, bad, or, or not. So we uh, work with a company called Helios, Quantitative Research, based out in California, um, and they help us customize and design our own portfolios. So, and then in addition to that, we have our own investment committee um, where we meet, we take their data and we decide to adopt or not adopt certain recommendations and rationale that they put together. So yes, we do have an active role in that, but ultimately, again, that's something that down the line, I don't think I necessarily need to be doing personally. Yeah. Well, and something I'm hearing with everything that you're talking about um, just throughout with the transition and even now with what you're doing is... Um, being proactive and being intentional. That's kind of the two words that are popping in my head is that you're being very proactive and thinking ahead of everything, but you're being very intentional about where you're wanting to go and about how you're evolving and transitioning, um, whether from moving your practice to the RIA space all the way to how you're evolving your role, but also the whole organization. Um, is that that's kind of what I'm hearing. I didn't know, um, John, if that's what you're hearing as well, but I think that falls in line with a lot of what we often teach our advisors, like you said, when they start in that being 100% client facing role, um, it can be a very reactive space to be, um, especially during a pandemic. It says <laughs> trying to stay proactive and intentional during a pandemic too is also very challenging for advisors. Um, so just kind of along those lines, how do you make sure that you're continually staying in line and aligned, I should say, with um, the direction you have, this vision that you have in your mind, how do you check yourself and make sure that you really are making that step forward? It's just having your, your daily check-ins and daily goals. Uh, you're setting goals for, your, for yourself and your business, whether it be on a, a daily or weekly or monthly basis or an annual basis, and just making sure you're in constant alignment with that and surrounding yourself with the team, knowing that you're all on the same page, trying to get to the same destination. Um, you know, I've been part of lots of teams in the past where not everyone was aligned and not everyone shared a common destination. And, you know, that's okay. There's so many different ways that you can run a financial planning practice. There are lifestyle practices that are not focused on growth and just focused on servicing clients and doing a great job for them and being reactive to their needs. And that's perfectly okay if that's what the client or the advisor is looking for. And then there's uh, you know, mega teams that are managing billions upon billions of dollars. And, you know, that's amazing if that's what their goals are. And everyone on that team has to be aligned with what their specific goals are. Um, I meet with my team on a weekly basis and we have check-ins both for short-term and long-term goals. What are our plans for the day? What are our plans for the week? What needs to get done? What are our marketing efforts? Who's going to be working on what? And we just constantly make sure that everyone is on the same page. And I think that's just the way a properly run organization, no matter how big or small it is, what they need to do to, to thrive. Yeah, we, you know, we talk a lot, Jared, and I know you do as well, just about leadership, right? And, you know, from my perspective, I have the saying where I say it's the leader, it's the leader, it's always the leader, right? So it sounds like you do a really nice job of kind of painting a vision for the future and kind of getting your team uh, engaged in that vision. And then of course, making sure that you're tracking it, right? That uh, on a daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly basis that uh, the right things are happening to hopefully bring that five, 10 or 15 year uh, goal 
uh, you know, to fruition. So it makes a lot of sense why you're growing so quickly. You know, I want to bring you back, Jared. I didn't get something out of you that I wanted before. So I'm going to give you another chance here. Um, But I think it would be good for the audience, right? So um, I can remember, I mean, this goes back a while ago. I, I don't know if it was 10, 12, 15 years ago. Um, when you made your first couple of strategic hires, right? And you brought in uh, a couple of, I think, guys, young guys that were associate advisors. Um, And I think, you know, when you talk about that lifestyle practice, right? I always look at it. There's there's kind of a solo practitioner or lifestyle practice. And then you've got what I would call a group practice where it's a couple of advisors, maybe sharing some resources and working together. And then you get into what I would call an ensemble practice, where it starts to look a little bit more like a company uh, and you start to have the same systems and processes. And then you get into mature ensemble practices. And I, you know, you, you used the phrase before, I think it was like a mega uh, organization or something like that. Um, so can you talk to that a little bit? Because I, I believe that lots of our listeners there's an opportunity for them to start to think about what the right strategic hire is, or there could be folks in their organization today, right, that could play a different role to actually help the, you know, the lead advisor ultimately um, become more of the CEO. Could, could you talk to that for us a bit? Well, I can try and hopefully I'll, I'll say what you're hoping I, I will at this point, but um when you're every advisor is going to have the ability to grow to a certain level right so i I use the goldfish analogy a goldfish is only going to get as big as the tank and its environment allows it to get so one of the problems that we had which is a great problem to have is i had too many clients coming in and you start to service those clients and then when you start to service clients and focus on clients and catch come in the backlog you stop marketing so it was a, an issue that I had, and this is one of the things that, John, you helped me understand is that it's time to start thinking outside of the box and bringing on people to help with some of the day-to-day things so it wouldn't retract from the growth that I was efficient at and better at. So we hired, uh, one of the first hires was an administrative assistant who's still with me today. Her name is Michelle. She's phenomenal, and I couldn't do what I do without her. Um, And also we hired a a couple of, well, not all at the same time, but throughout my career, we've hired associate financial advisors. And those advisors were brought on to help us service some of our, the clients of the organization while also helping to train and educate them to be able to grow their own books of business as well, Um, which was a win-win for the organization, right? If I help them and train them to market and they are allowed to plug into the marketing activities and some of the endeavors that I've already built, um, that's going to be a benefit for them and ultimately would be a benefit for the organization as we bring on more clients. And if I could ultimately pass them some new clients, which would then free up some of my time so I could focus on other things, again, that's also a, a win-win. Um, I think to me, the hardest thing to, to comprehend was spending a little bit of money for the benefit that that could bring down the line. So it's always scary when you're taking on new expenses as an organization, uh, a new W-2 employee or um, a new uh, associate advisor and the salary and benefits and whatever might come along. Um, It's scary, especially in a time like now where things are very uncertain. We don't know what's happening with the market. We have the pandemic. No one's actually in the office anymore. We can make excuses left and right, right? But at the end of the day, 
as business owners, we know what we need in the organization and, and the practice to succeed. So it's simply a matter of just trusting your gut and trusting yourself and doing it and you'll be able to, to, to win. I give you an A plus. That was the answer. Well, All done. Right. so uh, I don't give a lot of A pluses, but I like, I like that. So um, any particular learnings you had from going through that? I mean, I know, I know you had said it was a, it was a, um, you know, a hard decision and some risk, right. And, and kind of going, going out on a limb a little bit and maybe investing in your business. What was the hardest part of it? I mean, can you remember back then, you know, from a, from a, kind of when you hired someone, what was, what was the challenging parts about that outside of the economics? Yeah, it's, it's, it's like having a child for the first time, right? You're responsible for someone else at this point. Um, and that's something that I, it might sound corny, but I, I take that to heart as I, as a team and even the team that we have now, especially when I made the move, you have to be conscious of everyone that's, that's part of your team because you are their livelihood. You know, you, them being able to put food on their family's tables really falls on, on your shoulders. And that's how I went into all of this. And I made sure that I was truly ready to, to take that on. Um, there were times in the past where I thought I was when I wasn't, and you had to just trust your gut. Um, but it's, it's a huge undertaking. It's like having a child uh, and you're responsible for that other person. You're responsible for helping them grow, helping them uh, flourish and uh, providing them with education and all the tools that need, they need. Um, the one thing that you don't want to do is bring someone on, not give it your all and have them set up for failure. Cause that's not great for them and it's not great for you. And it's going to be hard to rebuild from that down the line. So it's simply a matter of just understanding that you're not just an advisor or a solo advisor at that point. You're now a team, even if it's a two member team, you're a team. You're each dependent upon each other. You have to be aware of what your goals, responsibilities, and expectations are of each other. And as long as you have constant communication and you are both trying to get to the same common place, everyone will do well. I think that's a good point that you brought up um, about defining the roles and expectations, um, but then also too that you're going to have to provide them with resources and support because that's where I see a lot of advisors fail. They make that hire, but they don't have things in place to really support that hire and they weren't really clear with defining what they wanted out of that person out of that role and then everybody gets upset because both parties are coming in with different expectations. It's those assumptions and we all know what assumptions mean <laughs> for each of us. Um, so I think that was a really good point. And um, John, it looked like you were about to say something as well. Yeah, no, as, as usual, I, I, uh, I think that made a lot of sense, Jared. I think when you think about how you hire someone, right, it is a big responsibility. And once they're on your team, um, you know, it's your responsibility as the leader to help them get what they want for themselves as well. So to totally aligned on that. You know, shifting gears a little bit in your opening remarks, and I know you've been you know, really successful with this, you talked a little bit about some of the inorganic growth strategies, right? So you had mentioned um, bringing on uh, experienced advisors in the industry and then acquiring, I assume is what you were talking about, advisors who might be ready for retirement or maybe have some kind of health issue or uh, family issue and have to you know, sell their business. Um, can you talk about both of those a little bit and kind of your experience there and uh, how that's worked out for you in the firm? Yeah, um, we've done both of them. Uh, in, my, in the past, we've brought in advisors from other firms. Uh, we've brought in an advisor from Wells Fargo, from Citibank, from 
uh, Oppenheimer, um, and it's worked out. It's worked out very well. The one thing we have to remember is they're coming from a different place. They're coming from a different culture. So the way I think it's very important to have a very good understanding of of what their not only what their book looks like, but how they service their clients. Um, do they see their clients face to face? Is it going to be someone that occupies another room in the conference room? Yeah, these are little things you have to know before you uh, look to take someone on. Um, the economics always seem to, to to work itself out as long as you're on the same page. So as I was mentioning, we, we've, we've brought people on from other firms that are still with us today um, that are integral team members. And we've also acquired some small practices along the way from other people that have uh, retired or expressed to, to retire. We've taken their books on and it's just been a great, easy way for us to add 30, $50 million of, of new assets, which in my world would have been doing probably five or 10 new seminars. So uh, focusing on acquisition opportunities, working with recruiters, um, working with wholesalers. Wholesalers are a great resource. They're plugged into advisors. They know what's going on in various firms. So just using your resources that you have, I think is a great uh, tool to, uh, to look for those opportunities and mine them. Because listen, at the end of the day, there's a lot of advisors that are competing for that business. So uh, having a good understanding of where to look, I think is, is crucial. Yeah, I was going to ask a, a little detail about that. You kind of beat me to the punch, but is there anything specific you do there? I mean, do you have kind of like tight relationships with recruiters or do you, are you proactive with, with wholesalers, as you mentioned, or do you have a team in place that searches for these opportunities, go to the FPA events? How, how do you do it? Yeah, well, we, we try to do a little bit of everything. Um, I work with recruiters. I have a couple of, of really great relationships with some recruiters who, and again, we're very direct in terms of what it is that we're looking for. Um, so I make sure that they understand that they have a, an understanding and always try to just stay top of mind with them. Um, I let wholesalers know, and especially as I went through a huge undertaking of our change and was able to tell the story of why we made the change. It was a fresh new story that wholesalers can keep in mind. We are, I mean, I have people on my team that are just really just marketing specifically for advisors. We go to events. Um, and the other thing that I started to do is we all have clients that might have assets at some other firms. I asked them, you know, what about, what, what about this advisor? Do you like, what are they not like, you know, do you think it'd be open to having a conversation? I'm actually starting to reach out to other advisors that we share a common client already. Um, and that could, my thinking, forward thinking there is that could be great if I could try to somehow bring that advisor on, well, wouldn't that be a very easy client for me to move to that particular advisor, which then takes them off my plate, which is what I'm trying to do anyway. So I just yeah. think just being creative in terms of who's out there, it doesn't have to be confrontational. Um, simply a matter of even just having, well, maybe not having coffee in this day and age, but having a Zoom and just sharing ideas. What, tell me about your firm. Let me tell you about my firm. Maybe there's ways to work together. Maybe your ideal client is 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 a million and above. And if, if, if you get a, a $400,000 referral and you don't want them, maybe there's an opportunity or something that we could work out. So that's just something that I started doing as well. And um, I think it could, I think it could be good. Well said. I think, uh, that's the first I ever heard, but I like the idea of a client that might use you and maybe another firm uh, meeting that advisor. And, uh, you know, it, it makes a lot of sense because I, I think about it, you know, when you just meet people and you get out and talk about your business and learn about someone else's business and what their kind of pain points are, right, and what they're trying to accomplish. If you 
listen with two ears, like we're all supposed to, right? 70% of your time should be listening and uh, 30% talking is something I'm not that good at, by the way. But I, I was heard. just thinking that. <laughs> no, <laughs> I was like, look at who's saying this. <laughs> um, well, I didn't say I practice what I preach, but I could preach it uh, pretty darn well. Uh, it, uh, it's amazing what can, you know, what can transpire. So I think, uh, I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, no, I like, I made a note of that. That was a pretty interesting concept because it's the same thing we do with our CPAs. Why not do it with other advisors too and mining for those opportunities? Um, but you never know where those opportunities lie. And if you're just willing to have a conversation, um, you might find a connection that really works. Um, you know, and thinking about this, you know, I was, I was thinking again about that proactive um, concept and how you approached your transition to the RIA space. Um, you know, is also getting me thinking when you're bringing on either new recruits or handling these acquisitions, um, how are you making sure that that's a pretty smooth transition and making sure that, you know, you're really getting out of it what you're hoping to get out of it? It's, it's certainly a process. And again, I think it starts with the communication and expectations with that particular advisor. Um, so at my prior firm, there was a team that would help with the actual transition and the paperwork and all of that. Um, that has to be down to a science and because uh, you don't have, you don't really have second opportunities or second chances when it comes to transitioning a book. You need to be on point the first time. Um, and that's the same as, as my current firm. When we made our transition, we were aligned with the team. I custody with TD. Their team was phenomenal. Um, we successfully transferred as I said, about 98% of our book within the first couple of weeks. Um, so our downtime was minimal. It was a, a chaotic period, but as I said, you know what the expectations are. You have communication with your team, um, the communication with the advisor, you set the parameters of here's what it's gonna look like, here's what your responsibilities are, here's the time, horizon, uh, time, time frame, and here's what the goals are. And then you just constantly make sure you're on point for that and just keep everyone in line if there's a bad phone call, you get them right back on track. Um, Cause there's, as I said before, there's inevitably, inevitably gonna be some curveballs. Uh, there's gonna be surprise clients. There's gonna be clients that that advisor thought was gonna come over um, that, that didn't for whatever reason. And, and that's okay. You know, there, there's gonna be others that you didn't expect to that will, and it's just a numbers game. So just staying focused and just making sure everyone's on the same page is the most important thing. So Jared, as we kind of wrap up here, we try to keep these to about, you know, 40 minutes or so. Um, where's Jared Cohn going to be in 10 years? Maybe paint us a picture. When you think about your firm, where are you taking uh, your company over the next 10 years? What's the big picture that you have? I think the big picture is just to, to continue to grow in a strategic manner. Uh, right now, we're based in Tarrytown, New York. Um, we're in the process of aligning with an RIA and that's in San Diego, California. So it gives us a little bit of a West Coast presence. Um, I can potentially see multiple Onyx Bridge Wealth Group offices throughout the country. Um, I can see a lot of my existing advisors growing into a managing director type of role and doing what I do in some of these various organizations. I think there's a lot that we could be doing and it just sounds like a lot of fun. I mean, the one thing that we've all learned over the last six months is, you know, we could do what we do anywhere in the world, right? So I don't know, you ask where Jared is, maybe he's on a beach in Hawaii somewhere, who knows, but um, not in- Gonna be like, where's Carmen San Diego and asking me, maybe, where's Jared Cohen? <laughs> maybe, maybe, um, but it, it's, it's, I mean, with, with technology today and just the, the, the changing of the industry and how efficient things are becoming, 
it's just it's just super fun. Um, I, I'm very ecstatic about the outlook of the industry. Um, a lot of people talk about, you know, robo-advisors, is that going to compete? And there's always going to be competition. There's always going to be disruption of the space in any industry, right? Um, there's always changes from compliance and regulations. That that has always been the case and will always be the case. But you have an opportunity as an advisor to really create your own path. And as I said before, be whatever you want to be when you grow up. So I'm looking forward to that. And, um, you know, who knows? We'll see where it goes. Well, I'm curious. What do you think is something that you either don't know or a skill you don't have right now or something you don't possess that you need to acquire or learn to get to that next step, to get you to that 10-year mark? That's a great question, Shenandoah. I, one thing that I, I've said repeatedly to my team over the past couple of months is I don't know what I don't know. Um, you know, I, I, as I said before, the, the fish tank analogy, when you have a goldfish and put it in a tank and now you put that fish in a much bigger tank, the expectation is to grow, but there's so much that I'm learning every single day. Um, every day brings something new and it's dynamic, which is exciting, but I can't really pinpoint what it is specifically that I need to learn or know, don't know. I'm not a big technology person and I need to be. So I would probably say it's just going to come down to becoming more efficient and better with technology and thinking about what's going to be ahead and where that learning curve is going to be. Well, maybe you can teach John some things about technology as you're doing that. <laughs> yes, Zoom has not been my friend of late. Microphones and John do not uh, do not get along very well. <laughs> hey, Jared, um, I wanted to kind of wrap things up and then I'll send it back to you, Shenandoah, for the official wrap up. Um, I am uh, A, proud to call you a friend uh, and B, really proud to see the growth. I, I like to say, I remember you when you were a nobody and you really have built a phenomenal business. Uh, and I'm really excited to see what you do with this, this merger that you mentioned and by coastal. And I, I can see you spending a lot of time on the beach because I do know uh, from, from memory that you do enjoy a good vacation. So uh, <laughs> thanks for coming on. I thought it was super impactful and Shenandoah, I'll let you send us off. Yeah, actually, before we do that, Jared, will you share with everyone where they can find you um, either online or how they can get in touch with you if they want to learn more? Sure, absolutely. I'm more than happy to answer any questions or concerns that your audience might have. Uh, all of our information is on our website, www.onyxbridge.com. Uh, email is jcohen at onyxbridge.com. And uh, as I said, anyone has any questions or want to talk more specifically but anything we've mentioned today, I'm an open book. I'm always here for you. Excellent. Well, we were so happy to have you on today. Lots of great points. I was scribbling down notes, and I'm sure our audience has uh, learned a lot as well. And we will keep our eye out on your 10-year growth trajectory. <laughs> um, thank you, everyone, for joining us today on another episode of the Quantum Growth for Financial Advisors podcast. Come back next week and join us for another great episode. Thank you for listening to today's episode. You can find the episode show notes and subscribe for updates by visiting cuttonconsultinggroup.com forward slash podcast. Make sure to subscribe and download the episodes on your favorite podcast app, and we'll see you next week.